0: The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you.
1: Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us.
2: Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're going to chat about Australian and international ETFs, index funds, some pros and cons, and then we're going to have a look at a few popular ETFs. But first, let's start with our money
1: wins, now money losses. Do you have one for us today, Anna? I do. Um, so this is kind of a win-loss, but I, I, mainly a win. Since Christmas, I have not used Uber Eats or DoorDash or any Amazing. kind of s- service. Wow. So that's like, what, five months? Yeah, that's impressive. Quite a long time, feeling very good. Yesterday, definitely didn't have food in the house or no energy to cook, uh, so forced myself to drive to the local sushi shop and get some food because I refused to pay. <laughs> the service fees on, um, on Uber Eats. So uh, I was I thought it was a bit of a win and loss because I kind of broke the streak. But nonetheless, it was you know under $50, whereas usually I think it costs like $80 um, to get the meals that we need for our family. So yeah, that's that's me. What about you, Tash?
2: Yeah, I used to have that rule when I was a bit younger where I'd only get takeaway if I drove to pick it up, but that's definitely gone out the window now. I have, um, is it Uber Pass or Uber One, the Uber Eats membership thing, which is sometimes a money loss, but it's been a bit of a money win Win recently. They gave me like a 50% off groceries voucher. So I ordered $80 worth of groceries for $40, but then they refunded me a few of the items at the full price. So I ended up getting $80 worth of groceries for like $24, which I think is wow. a huge money win, including free delivery. So I'm taking that as a win. That's a big win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: If you don't use their services for a while, they do start throwing promo codes at you, as I've found. So, you know, maybe I'll slip up in the future.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I've had a few where it's been like the spend 30 and get $15 off. So I'll try and order $30 exactly and get like lunch and dinner for $15. But I still get the free delivery with my Uber Pass, Uber One. So yeah, I think that's definitely a money win.
1: So let's get started and start talking about ETFs, also known as exchange-traded funds. They are managed funds that you can buy and sell on the exchange, such as the ASX, which is the Australian Stock Exchange. And when you invest in an ETF, you don't own the underlying investment. You own units in the ETF, and the ETF provider owns the shares or assets. So what do ETFs actually invest in, and
2: what are they? Exchange trade funds, or ETFs as we usually call them, are bigger picture investments that give you exposure to a broad range of assets in one trade. Australian ETFs are available over the Australian share market as a whole in sectors of the Australian share market, as an investment strategy, such as enhanced dividend yield, or the Australian fixed interest market, also known as bonds. Each ETF has an underlying index and follows the performance of that index. Another way of saying
1: this is that the ETF tracks the underlying index. So Anna, what does an index actually measure? So a share market index is a measure of the performance of a group of stocks. Some indices or indexes, as they get referred to, measure the performance of the broad Australian stock market. share market. Some indices or indexes, as they get referred to, measures the performance of the broad Australian share market. For example, the ASX 200, which measures the performance of the largest 200 stocks in Australia. And there are other indices, and they measure the performance of a sector of the market. So for example, some sectors are the ASX 200 Energy Index, which tracks companies such as Calix, Origin Energy, and Woodside Petroleum. And the ASX 200 Financials Index tracks things like banks. So NAB, Commonwealth, and z and there's also these other sectors industrial and telecommunication services as well
2: buying a sector ETF gives you instant exposure to stocks in that sector rather than having to pick stocks you gain diversified exposure For example, if you think the resources sector will outperform the broad share market, you could buy an ETF that tracks the ASX 200 Resources
1: Index. What actually makes the level of an index change, though, Anna? The index level changes as prices of the share in that index change. So over a given period, not all shares move in the same direction or by the same amount, and the index measures the effect of price movement of the share in that index.
2: For example, if NAB shares go down by negative one, but A and Z shares go up by plus one, the price of the index would stay the same if they were weighted the same. Different companies will perform differently and the index will account for this in the overall price. We'll talk through some more ETF examples a bit later on though.
1: There's also strategy ETFs and sometimes investors have themes they want to pursue. And this is often referred to as thematics. As an example, a thematic ETF would be Betashare's Crypto Innovators ETF. Uh, The ticker is C-R-Y-P or CRIP. And if you don't know what a ticker is, a ticker is a special code that you can use to look up a share or ETF. So that is an example of a thematic ETF. SYI, which is the ticker for a dividend ETF, which focuses on receiving higher dividend yield, that focuses on generating a higher income instead of capital growth. And then there's HACK, ticker H-A-C-K, HACK is the Global Cyber thematic ETF as well.
2: The Betashares Crypto One, so the Crypt ETF, was actually the worst performing ETF last year, and I actually bought it. Because I got sucked into the hype a little bit. Um, I think it's like was down negative 80% or something horrendous very quickly. But I think like these thematic ETFs are very fun, but they definitely deviate
1: from my investing strategy. And I think in a lot of cases, if you do have thematics, they can kind of complement your whole portfolio if you want to dabble in them. But by no means is it probably advantageous to just invest in a thematic ETF.
2: My overall return would be so much higher if I hadn't have gone and randomly bought ETFs like this where I'm like, oh, that's such a cool idea, but I've not really looked too much into it. Um, I also bought the SYI dividend ETF as well because when I first started investing, I was like, oh, dividends, income, that sounds great. But I no longer actively buy it because I'm trying to target capital gains rather than dividends because capital gains, you can get the capital gains discount longer term. So for tax purposes, it makes more sense to not have all that income now. But it was fun when I first started to get all the fun higher dividends get paid out to me,
1: as you learn, right? I don't really have any thematic specifically. I do have more focused ones like FE, which is an ethical ETF. So that's as, I guess, as close, I'm a bit more broad, I would say.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've definitely bought a bit of like ethy and FAIR as well. They're the beta shares ethical ones where um, they handpick ethical companies that fit their whatever their rules are, for ethical stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm the same. I now more focus on broad index ETFs and try to not pay attention to all the other exciting things happening in the, in the other world of thematic ETFs. Now that we've talked about a few Australian ETFs, let's talk about international ETFs and some special considerations
1: that come with them. So why would I want to expose myself to overseas markets? Why bother?
2: There are several reasons Australian investors might want overseas exposure, including Diversifying your exposure beyond the Australian market. I didn't realize this, but it only represents 2 to 3% of the world's share market cap. Like living in this little Very bubble, tiny. I feel like, yeah, I feel like we would have so much more, but we don't. There are also greater opportunities to invest in industries that are underrepresented in Australia. For example, the technology sector that includes companies like Microsoft, Apple, and Samsung. In Australia, we have a lot of mines and banks, and that's kind of it when you look at like the
1: top stocks we have here. It's very similar to Canada as well. And what I learned is that it's called a home bias, like a home country bias, because, you know, it is what you know. So by investing in Australia, because you know the Australian economy, you're more likely potentially to invest more into it, which might, you know, as you said, it's only a small percentage of the whole
2: Yeah. It's very interesting because like, Even looking at diversified portfolios from Australian like investment companies, it seems to target like 30, 35, even 40% Australian stocks, which is crazy when you think that we're only two to 3% of the world share market cap.
1: Yeah. And by diversifying, like by actually getting exposure to other markets, there are some positives there as well, right? You might be able to access some emerging markets. This includes, you know, having shares or stocks from countries such as Brazil, China, Russia, India, and just being able to diversify your whole portfolio in the case that something did happen to Australia.
2: Yeah, hopefully not, but it's good to be diversified across the rest of the world. And there's like so many other exciting things happening as well. Just like Australian ETFs, there are different international indexes that ETFs can track. Examples of these include the S&P 500 in the US. This gets referenced all the time. It's kind of the benchmark everyone used with the standard returns. And it's the one Warren Buffett used for his famous bet with hedge fund managers. Um, so this is the largest 500 companies in the US, the S&P 500 index. There's also the Asia 50 index or the NASDAQ 100, which is 100 of the largest NASDAQ-listed non-financial companies. What a mouthful. Um, But this is predominantly referred to as like the tech index, and it's got lots of Facebook and well, Meta now, Amazon, stuff like that in it. So why would someone actually buy an international ETF instead of
1: just investing
2: directly overseas?
1: Great question. The ASX traded international ETFs are a simple way to gain exposure to overseas share markets. In comparison, if you invest directly in overseas shares, it's a little bit more complicated. So, for example, you must trade most likely on an overseas exchange. Not all brokers offer overseas share trading services. You might get some U.S. ones here, but um, not a lot of other ones. So if you want to invest in, you know, for example, Hong Kong or London or Canada, Japan, (laughs) Japan. Yeah. yeah, good luck overseas shares must be paid in a foreign currency and dividends are paid in that foreign currency as well.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find
2: anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role
1: like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other
1: leading job sites.
0: All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And then you have to pick what shares to buy. So that might be a bit extra, you know, research that you have to do. Yeah. Because in Australia,
2: you like, we go to Kohl's, we go to Woolies, we use all these things. We hear about BHP in the news all the time. But if you're looking at overseas companies, it's definitely a little bit harder to stay up to date.
1: Yeah. And I find this actually quite complicated for me because I have a brokerage in Canada. And as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I also have Canadian ETFs and American ETFs. And then my dividends get paid in American dollars, but sometimes I don't want to invest again. And then I have to transfer it. And there's a foreign exchange Fee and every time it's it gets really complicated. But on top of that, there's also a tax complication that can happen. So in the US, there's a withholding tax of 30% for any distribution. And Australia has this double tax agreement with the US, which is fantastic. It means that the US withholding tax on distributions paid to Australian residents is only limited to 15%. But after you purchase your ETF, the share registry will send you a W8 Ben form. And you have to fill this out. And if you don't fill it out, you're going to have to pay the 30% rate. So it's really important to be aware of if you're investing in the US stock market or any other market, because there's a lot of tax complications that might play out.
2: So remember to check your mail and actually read all of those annoying letters and fill them out so you avoid all this extra tax. I think I avoided mine for ages and then filled them out like a year later. So definitely don't do that. Read those letters.
1: And how do international ETFs make money?
2: It's very similar to Australian ETFs. So you can have growth, which is like the capital gains when your share price increases, and you can also have income. But the difference here is it also depends on the movements in the Australian dollar against the currency of that index. There's a few more things to consider. Okay.
1: Well, we can't talk about ETFs without talking about passive or active managed ETFs. So in Australia, most ETFs are passive. They don't try to outperform the market. And that's what that essentially means, right? Like they're just looking at some of the top companies and that's what they're following in terms of that index. The role of the fund manager of a passive investment is to track the value of the index. So for example, the ASX 200 or the S&P 500, they're just tracking it. And a specific commodity such as gold can also get tracked. So the value of the ETF goes up or down with the index or asset that they're tracking. There's
2: also actively managed ETFs, which are actively managed investments. For these funds, investment managers may use high-risk trading strategies to try and outperform the index. These usually have higher fees as you're paying someone to be the expert and stock pick let's summarize the pros and the cons of ETFs now.
1: I think most of my ETFs are passive. Do you have any active ETFs? Uh,
2: I don't think. Oh, I used to. I bought like the inverse leveraged ones um, like gear and GGUS, I think it was. I think they actively managed. Surely they are. Um, But I mostly just buy passive tracking ones now.
1: Yeah. I'm just really not about like trying to beat the market. I don't like personally, I don't think the fees are worth it. It stresses me out too much. I'm just happy, <laughs> happy with my average return.
2: Yeah. And the stats always show over the longer term, like passively managed ones win, down, win out anyway. Like the longer, the longer the time frame, the less actively managed
1: ETFs actually beat this, the index. Yeah. Let's summarize the pros and cons of ETFs. So some of the pros are diversification. ETFs allow you to buy a basket of shares in a single trade. So you're able to diversify across a lot of asset classes instead of just buying one share or having to buy a bunch of shares. Like imagine how expensive that would be.
2: Yes. Imagine trying to buy like the top 200 Australian in individual trades, like all those brokerage brokerage fees and then the top 500 US ones, and then trying to find like emerging market ones as well. You'd spend so much in brokerage fees. And just like the admin work, I need like a whole spreadsheet trying to track what you bought and sold or not. Now I just feel stressed thinking
1: about that. Yeah. Thank this <laughs> for diversification. We can just <laughs> buy ETFs. a few
2: instead. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I already feel like I have too many ETFs. I can't imagine having all these individual shares. Another pro, is transparency. So, most ETFs publish the list of assets owned by the funds. So, you know exactly what is in the ETF that you hold or you're invested in. They're usually low cost, meaning that they have a low management fee and they're quite easy to trade. You can just buy and sell ETFs during trading hours through a broker. Um, so, it's not too complex. Yeah. And a lot of managed funds have like,
2: what is it, 10, 20, 50 grand minimum entry points, whereas an ETF, you can just buy like 500 or a thousand dollars on a through a broker. Um, there are a few cons as well. One of them is market or sector risk. The market or sector that the ETF is tracking could fall in value. For example, if the ASX 200 declines, the value of your ETF will also fall because it's only Australian companies. There's also the currency risk that we spoke about earlier. If the ETF invests in international shares, you face the risk of currency movements impacting your returns. There's some things called currency hedged ETFs, so which do remove this risk. They just have a higher fee in them. Um, the last one is liquidity risk. Some ETFs invest in assets that are not liquid, such as emerging market debt. This can make it difficult at times to sell your ETF.
1: An important thing is before you purchase an ETF, it's really important to check out the PDS, the product disclosure statement.
2: Have you read your product disclosure statements for the
1: ETFs that you've bought? Have you read one ever? I have, but not a, not like a long time. <laughs> not for a long time. Not recently. I'm going to be honest, <laughs> which is probably, you know, I should listen to my own advice. <laughs> Yeah, I
2: like to read them to look at the fees because I find sometimes the websites aren't very clear and you're kind of scrolling through information trying to find how much they actually charge you. Um, But in the PDS, there's like a table that lists all the different fees in one spot. And they have an example as well kind of worked out, which makes it really helpful to see what you're actually being charged because there's so many fees stacked on top of each other. And you might just look at one and be like, oh, that's fine. But it actually impacts your investments a lot more.
1: And this is really important, not just for ETFs, but any financial product. Yeah, for managed funds as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. When checking out a PDF, some of the things that are included are what index the ETF is tracking, how to buy or sell units of the ETF, the risks, and how to complain if you have a problem with the ETF.
2: I didn't know about this one. I've never felt the need to complain about an ETF. So this is a cool one. <laughs> You're not performing well. Give me my yes. money back. Give me a refund. <laughs> Let's have a look at some of the top holdings of some popular ETFs. I was very surprised how heavily weighted the ASX 200 is towards banks and mines. So I've just pulled up the portfolio holdings of the A200 ETFs. This is a beta shares one. But the top 10 holdings is 47.4% of the overall ETF. So the top 10 out of like 200 companies is almost half of it, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. And then the top holdings are lots of banks and mines. Like I thought there would have been a few other things in there, but we've got like BHP, Commonwealth, CSL, NAB, Westpac, ANZ, Macquarie, Woodside Energy, West Farmers, and Telstra. So if you're buying the ASX 200, that's pretty much, you just own half of it as all those companies.
1: It is really interesting when you're looking at the weighting of those companies, because that really kind of tells you how heavily it's weighted in a, in a specific yeah, company. Especially
2: when you are trying to find like more slightly ethical investments, like BHP is 10.9% of the A200 ETF. So if you're not a big fan of mines and you don't realize how much of that mine you actually own in your investment it can be interesting.
1: In that case, it might be worth looking at VETH, which is Vanguard's Ethical Conscious Australian Share ETF. And if you look at that, it is missing companies such as Woodside and BHP because it's trying to avoid some of those mining-focused companies.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not perfect. Like, There's definitely a whole conversation to be had around ethical ETFs, and it's not perfect, but it's a slightly better option if you're trying to avoid those really like red companies, I guess. For an American example, IVV is the iShares S&P 500. ETF, which trades on the ASX. Like I get asked a lot whether people should buy IVV or VOO. Is it it's like VOO? Have you heard yeah. of VOO, Anna? Yeah. Yes. Um, I own it yeah. <laughs> in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Voo's also a, an S&P 500 ETF, but it's on an American exchange, whereas IVV is on the Australian exchange, but they both invest in the S&P 500 index.
1: So this would be an example of where you would have to weigh up the pros and cons of investing in another market, whether it's worth all the taxes and the paperwork. The foreign exchange fee as well, because you've got to pay, buy it in US dollars. And maybe you want that and maybe you don't. And maybe you're, you know, it, it, it just really depends on what your goal is with investing and just things that you need to consider. So if you want to, to get more information on your ETFs, you can go to the ASX website. They've got really great things on there. ETF managers also have websites as well. So for example, if you're invested in Vanguard, you can go to their website and actually get as much information as you need, how much does it cost, what companies, etc. Same with other managers such as Betashare, iShare, uh, VanEck. If you want to find the price of an ECF, you can look on your broker or just Google
2: the ticker code. So for example, we're just talking about IVV. So let's just Google IVV. And you can like even put ASX in there as well, and it'll all come up with the information. Sometimes on Google, it will even tell you like the dividend yield too. So lots of information there.
1: I know that sometimes it can be overwhelming hearing all these different ETFs and what to invest in and which one. At Perler, we have, this awesome thing where you just go to the invest page and you can see some of the top ETFs that people are invested in actually has them listed by, you know, by users on the platform. So top three are VAS, VGS and VDHG. And those are all Vanguard ones. Yeah. And
2: they're all awesome passive investment options. Like they're all really good options.
1: So if you don't know where to start, it might just be worth taking a look there, seeing what the top invested ETFs are and just have a look at what they're invested in, whether it aligns with your values, how much of it is weighted in Australia or the US or other markets, (laughs) whether it's passive and, you know, in these cases, yes. And if it works for your own goals. Awesome. Now we've just covered ETFs that
2: mostly hold shares, but you can also buy bond or fixed interest ETFs too. Um, But that's a whole other future topic. So we won't touch on that today. Good
1: old bonds.
2: Mm, (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Neglected. We'll talk about you another time. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're coming. They're coming soon,
1: maybe. Yeah, next week we'll be actually chatting about brokers and how to actually invest and buy an ETF. So definitely check out our next episode. And um, before we sign off, what are some of the actions we want to ask our listeners to consider for this week? Go have a look at
2: the top holdings of your ETFs that you're looking at and see if they actually align with your own values. I think it's quite interesting to have a look. Like I was shocked about the BHP one for ages. So go have a look, see if you can find it. Google the ticket code, find the information on like the managed fund or the ETS website and just have a look at that for yourself.
1: And if you have multiple ETFs, it might be interesting to see how many of them overlap. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I see this a lot with like um, A200 and VAS. So A200 is like the ASX 200, but VAS is the ASX 300. And considering they're so heavily
1: weighted towards the top 10 anyway, there'd be a lot of overlap there. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks again. And let's sign off. Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina.
0: This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative 1299881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367 and Perla who is an authorized representative 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info.